Alrighty then. Is the intro music too much? Let me know what you think in the comments. I'm of a mind to experiment a little bit. First of all, before we get started, a big thank you to all of you who have subscribed to the CC Life Science Podcast and or the newsletter. We're off to a pretty good start. I've got three more interviews lined up all around AI and data science right now. But as I've said, I'm following my curiosity, mostly around technology and life science that isn't strictly biology, but we'll see where it goes. My goal here is to be informative, but also to build a community. That might show up as a thread in Substack where folks can discuss things with each other or as a live stream recording with a panel, something like that. That's enough from me for now. Let's jump into today's interview. Dr. Severance McLaughlin is CEO and founder of DeLorean Artificial Intelligence, producing sentient and semi-sentient systems of intelligence for sales, CPG, financial services, healthcare, life sciences, and natural resources markets. Severance, welcome to CC Life Science. Hey, Chris. Thank you very much for having me on your podcast. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to this. And uh, thank you to Lewis Weber for connecting yes, us. Yes, yes. Lewis is a good guy. So let's start with a big question just to get this thing rolling. If you could take the healthcare or life science industries by the collar and shake them, what would you want them to know about artificial intelligence right now? Yeah, I mean, how honest do you want me to be, Chris? Like, is this, yeah. <laughs> My background is is biologies and and computational biology. So life sciences and healthcare are in my belly wig. I think compared to other industries, Chris, so financial services, CPG, healthcare and and life sciences are just behind the eight ball, and they're not doing what they're they're not adopting artificial intelligence the way they should be in terms of thinking of number one is driving revenue or top line growth, but also driving bottom line growth or savings, if you will. And I think there's a, a separation between the two as well. So I, healthcare, which shocks me, is actually more advanced in this area than pharma. And which again, shocks me because usually healthcare trails most organizations. And so, and then in, in life sciences, they've done well, I think in RPA and they've done well um, with maybe analytics, but they haven't gotten their, their act together to actually implement AI in either sales, which drives that revenue marketing, or on the other side, in terms of um, research and development and or operational quality control or things of that nature. I, th I think if we back it up a little bit, let's look at like what the world's looking at in terms of AI. So in 2021, people estimate between 31 and $54 billion was spent in on AI on Fortune 500 companies. That is expected to grow to about 77 billion. So over double in one year. So what is different from now than when I worked at Cognizant about five years ago is that back then it would take me six meetings to convince a VP that data science is important, right? Now the CEOs, like 60 or 70% of the, the, the McKinsey surveys, like. CEOs recognize AI is important, they have to invest in it. And they don't know what it is, but they have earmarked dollars. So vendors or whatnot are now looking to put those services there. The challenge is though, Chris, 66% of these investments completely fail. Now that's including financial services who drive 
they reward risk, they drive investments. And then you come back to healthcare and life sciences where they are very cautious from their from the way the industry is and no one can make a decision. And and that's the challenge there is that there's gonna be more failures. And the reason that there's more failures, I call it, is the science project mentality. Okay, we have our little pot of money at Bayer or BMS or AstraZeneca, and we're gonna put a little money into marketing, we're gonna put a little bit over here, without a vision as how does this scale to an enterprise level. The other thing is, you know, about a, I think in 2017, I was, I was writing about the promise of AI and how it's going to change healthcare and life sciences. And what we've seen is actually, unfortunately, we haven't really made much progress. We've gotten robotic processing automation, and that's done pretty well. And some key highlights that we should be proud of, Philips is using their computer vision to look at radiographs, and they have 510K approval. Apple and wearables are using that data. But where is the patient here? Like, where is that person that the pharma companies and healthcare are supposed to be worried about? You, Chris, me, Sev, have we gotten them better because we're using AI? So I think that's what I would focus on. And, and how do we actually generate an increase in the quality of health outcomes that our healthcare life sciences could achieve for the American people or the global patient population? So that was long-winded. I hope I answered your question. No, that's good. We're going to dig in a little bit more. I want to go way back to the beginning because I'm a rookie at this, as everybody knows. Tell me, uh, RPA, what are we talking about? What is It's that? robotic um, automation, basically. So it's oh, taking... You just mentioned it again at the end, right? Yeah, so it's, it's basically taking uh, remedial or repetitive tasks and automating them. And so it, it, it decreases time, allows people to focus on what they need to, and there's more precision and less mistakes without the human, the, the, the human error. So I would applaud that, but then you get into the, the point of view is like, what is AI? You know, the bastardized term that has come to be. So. Got it. Yeah. So RPA, now I understand. And we're talking about, we could have analytical instruments running hundreds of thousands of samples and checking barcodes. Are they all there? Caps on yep. all that pretty basic routine cost savings. Absolutely. Not and better accuracy, so a little bit of improvement in your health and mine, but not the the big we haven't we haven't we cured might. cancer. We haven't cured right. And those challenges were, you know, have were there before AI, right? Or the the advent. And I guess I, I would actually say is is people don't really understand what real AI is and the actual power. And, and again, it's a buzzword. It's on the tip of everybody's tongue. And the only other word that may like come close to it is now meta, the metaverse. Thank you, Zuckerberg. And that's maybe taking some of the limelight, which might be a positive. But the challenge is, Chris, is that there was so much promise early on by companies like IBM Watson, right? IBM Watson poisoned the well specifically for healthcare because they, they promised the world and my mom knows what IBM Watson is. So it's kind of like the marketing people there should get an Emmy. But my mom thought like a blue box would come in and you plug it in somewhere and you have AI and it hums like, ooh. And, <laughs> and glows. It glows. Well, too. Maybe it does disco. And what they basically did is my hypothesis is they took algorithms from different clients. So let's say 15 pharmas are like, oh, we'll just put them together and like run it against your data and it should come out. This is my hypothesis but failed miserably at MD Anderson and Sinai. And obviously they just got sold off. 
out of IBM to Francisco Partners for that reason, because they were a, a heavy weight. But the amount of damage that they had done to us in, in AI startups, other companies, in healthcare, because people got gun shy. So it's another challenge there. But I, I think it's important for your, your listenership to understand what is the difference between advanced analytics, you know, RPA, and, and AI. So I define AI as having the ability to predict something will happen in the future with a probability. And then once you know that, right, it's great, like, you know, what patient will transition from diabetes to chronic kidney disease for their primary diagnostic code. So being able to predict that transition three months out, and then what's the next best action, right, to take to either slow that or stop that. And, and that's the ability. And then the ability to think a little bit. Now, right now, this is in Terminator and, and uh, type of AI, but you know, maybe a golden retriever, a happy golden retriever making decisions like this email should go to this doctor versus that one, or maybe we should send an app message versus an email. So that's the type of thinking I call sentience. So that's what I believe AI is. What a lot of the AI on the market, Chris, is actually advanced analytics. My favorite saying is anybody can draw a line through a whole bunch of dots and make a, make a decision. And I have a friend that uses the saying, he's like, Sev, if you can take the word AI out of a sentence and replace it with advanced analytics and the context of the sentence does not change, it's actually analytics. So, you know, there's hype on the people selling it and how this impacts our, these large pharmas and also healthcare is that you have systems integrators, so Cognizant, Capgemini, Invasys, you have the McKenzie's, you have all, Microsoft, AWS, you have all these vendors that are trying to sell them saying it's AI, which it's not AI, and they're, they're, they're not allowing the dollars to be spent in a way that they were meant to, to spend and to, to drive that conversion and to drive, hey, how do we keep people from, from progressing through the stages of diabetes? How do we prevent them from going into chronic kidney disease? How do we get them the right drug, right, for a small, rare, or ultra-rare set of patients? So... Yeah, so from my angle, the analytics thing that you described, collect a bunch of data, analyze it. That's why we call it analytics. And then it might say the patients who look like this and then that, some fraction of them got kidney yeah. disease. The next step is you tell me which ones those are going to exactly. be. Like, so one of the big things that healthcare payers now is we have a partner named Lumiata, um, great people out in the West Coast. They have some really great technology. And so they can predict cost increases for different um, disease sets. And th their customers are like, well, that's great that we know the cost is going to go up because it never goes down. And, but they, they predict <laughs> like, you know, it's going to go up this much. But then they say, well, what do I do? Like, thank you for telling me that. But what do I do with this information? So or the same thing in sales. Like, if let's say you're a farmer rep. You know, you have a new doctor, they just opened an office. What's the best channel to contact them? How is it, do I develop this? Do I do literature? Do I invite them out to, to do a, a, to a, to a talk? Or what is it for that person mathematically? And something that really uh, triggered with me when you said the analytics, you have some data, right? So because we're dealing with so much data, right? Like hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people now that all maybe have 30 or 40 different data points per person, and then it could be longitudinal, is that most companies also sample, right? 
and and this may be a little bit offensive or whatnot, but I call currently now with the technology available, samplings for dummies. We can now run a million members or a million patients or a million tri clinical trial members or a 10 or 20 million marketing in seconds. And we can hyper-personalize it. So not is it like, hey, we're gonna take this data and it says this, and we're gonna apply it to everybody, one size fits all. You know, another colleague would call that primitive AI, which means analytics. But now the ability is to say, Chris, you know, you're, you're a diabetic, but you're Zen, you're eating, you know, you're eating uh, a rabbit diet, you're doing yoga, you know, medication, maybe we can get your A1C down by going through lifestyle. Sev, I'm one cheeseburger away from a heart attack, man. So, you know, we need to have, you know, some heavy medication. So it actually goes out to the individual person and has that capability. So hyper-personalization. Or going back to the sales opportunity is, okay, I'm a pharma uh, rep and uh, our AI identifies the super prescribers that are going to be able to change the way prescribing does. And it tells you next best action is how to convince that person or how do you develop that relationship? And be just because of the power of the end. So I have two questions. The first one's on sampling. The second one, I'm saying this so I don't forget it, is about the super subscriber or prescribers. So if people are still sampling the dummies, is that because of lack of resources or they don't know better? I mean, are some people limited in their what yeah, they absolutely. have available to them to do the stuff? Yeah, so that's a really good point. So is the technology is the technology available to run 40 million people with 40 variables? Yes. Now, on some platforms, they may not have the compute power, so the CPU, and it would take maybe right. three days to run or, or whatnot. But there are now technologies on the market like NVIDIA, and Samba Nova who have like Ferrari AI chips, right? Like it, it, it's like if you're going to go get a keyboard at Staples for your computer and then they have the gamers, you know, like set up, like it's completely different. So this is the revved up Ferrari engines. So the ability to do that, but they can do that in minutes if not seconds. So it's available. What pharma and healthcare have to do is they have to invest and they have to partner properly. And then the... I forgot your second question. Sorry. Oh, I didn't ask the second one. So when I hear about the AI, uh, about the use of AI for getting the super prescribers to yep. change the way something is done, as a consumer, my reflex is, are we pushing things beyond what's the right decision? So do you, do you understand what I mean? Yeah. So that doctors, I want them, if there's a better thing to be done, I want it to be done. How do we avoid overstepping the line and just pushing something through and then find out like, oh, that wasn't a great idea. Okay, so I'm gonna answer, I'm gonna unpack that a little bit. So sales yeah. is sales, right? Let's, let's, we're American, we're capitalists, like, you know, you, you spend 8 billion on a drug, you wanna actually see it sold and go there. Yep. So part of yep. that is, and let's all be honest, if you have pharma reps that listen to this, I know your life guys, they don't have time for you, they're seeing patients, the, the front desk won't get you back there. So, so part of it is educating the doctors, like it, what patient populations will this support? So now let me, I'm gonna pause there. So let me flip it, Chris. So we work in healthcare, we have a medical AI. And so we analyze what is the next best action. Sometimes it's actually the provider is the problem. 
And we can go all the way up to like, hey, we need to remove this person and replace them to with this and tell them which doctor to replace with. And of course that works through the medical directors and whatnot. But part of the reason is, is now the medical directors can, at the insurance companies can have a peer-to-peer -peer conversation with um, doctors who may not be prescribing the, the drug of choice that is getting the most efficacy, right? And that may be because this doctor is seeing so many patients and just does not have the time and they're human too. There's a bell curve, right? And there's superstars, but the most you're dealing with is the bell, which is average. And then you have even doctors there are people that are, you know, just not that good. The, so, right. So like it, you framed it as like, Hey, super prescribed. It sounds, do we really want to do that. Well, you're doing it already. You're already selling it. Like what we're telling you is like, this is the person that if this is the next best drug, they are seeing that types of patients and their thought leaders and their people that would be apt to try this. On the other side of it, let's look at it in terms of rare and ultra rare diseases, right? Those drugs are developed specifically because they're highly profitable, but the good news, capitalism, allows us to treat a, a disease state that hasn't been treated or treatable, better quality of life for our patients. So you could have a pediatric hepatologist, so a pediatric liver doctor, how do you find the guy that will like actually be the brainchild and be able to help the 1200 patients in the United States? So that's my response, right? And, and it's not like yeah. those salespeople are making the medical decision. It's, it's getting the doctors to have the right information in front of them. Yeah, fair enough. If I have one of those conditions, I want my doctor to get the email that tells them the right thing too. I'm, yeah, it's it's right. it's a it's so. a miracle drug. Like there's a there was a drug that we were working on um, helping them with. It was a it was a pediatric lysosomal in the liver, and again there was 1,200 people identified worldwide. Like how like how does how does the general practitioner recognize that? That's so that's the the ideal situation of how you do that. But it can be applied to all of them. All right, good enough. So. You mentioned this a little bit, and maybe if this is redundant, let me know. But what is the difference between the approach of financial services and CPG and healthcare and life science? I mean, we go back to what you said at the beginning was risk-driven or reward-driven in financial services, more conservative in healthcare. Is there anything else that... Yeah, I, I mean, I would reiterate that, you know, financial services are usually the first ones to, to drive change. Right. So for them, it's milliseconds. If they can get to a trade faster, if they can get a client faster, if they can sell faster, it's all about return on investment. And if you can achieve that, then huge. And they're willing to take that risk. And they're also in a regulated environment. Right. So but then you have CPG and retail or whatnot. And I think they're coming around as to, OK, well, how do we do this better? I have a client that that is saturated. They're, they're saturated. They're sitting like, we need to get another growth out of this. How do we do it? And they're looking at other options and the cost associated with this, Chris is much lower. So I think it's that they think about, you know, it's driving revenue. We need to support that. And then the, the bottom line. And I, and I do think, and I will be controversial here. I, I do think that there is a problem or a challenge in leadership in pharmaceutical companies where you have director VP, that people are scared to sign off. They have budgets for innovation, right? Like, what are you spending it on, right? Like, so for instance, you know, AbbVie spent, I think like what, 11 or $12 billion on marketing for Humira. Like, how about if I, if I could say, hey, I can do that for 10% of it, right? 
like someone would get a promotion, a huge bonus, right? And achieve the same objective. But like the marketing budgets and the sales and marketing budgets in pharma are so huge, right? It's a time for an evolution where if I could mathematically model your client, your doctor or the patient, and I can identify them for you. And let me, let me blow your hair back a little bit more. How about if I identify them for you in clinical trials? So you have the right patients in that clinical trial, you get approved, and then when you're approved, you already have the people that you wanna go, you've already got the, the patient support groups and you've already got them ready for market. Now that is a capitalistic, and what, how about if I can do it for just 50%, 40% of the budget they're already spending? And that, that would, I would assume, lower the cost of delivery. It, would, it lowers the, the healthcare costs. So I think, like for instance, like a pilot's $200,000, $100,000, like a director should be able to sign off on that. So. so you segued into my next two questions. So talk about modeling patients or customers to make predictions about how a disease would progress or um, how customers progress, you know, from yeah. becoming aware to being customers. Yeah. So I think those are very separate. So I think the sales is important, right? So I think, you know, the sales and pharma is much different than any other industry. It's relationships, right? It's having relationships with those uh primary care physicians or HCPs. And so you're not stages, like you said, it's actually relationships. So all the reps that you're, that if they, if they're listening, uh, and, and we're fortunate that they're listening to us is if they're, you're using either Salesforce or Viva. So you know what I'm talking about? So we have the ability to suck out all the unstructured data from there and be able to mathematically model what doctors will respond to what. And when I say that is like, is it snail mail? Is it lunch? Is it a lunch and learn? Is it materials? Do you send a text? Like we can fine tune it all the way down to that amount. And, and you may be thinking the more data, the better. So after you have a meeting with Dr. Sev, I see you at Panera and you're filling it in your, in whatever the, the FDA regulated comments or whatnot. But also if you're sending emails, you could just easily do it by voice to text and you just send an email and it gets linked into that sales um, funnel. And then that processes into the model as well. Now, in terms of the, the, the patients, there's a couple ways. In healthcare, what we do is we model the patient. So we're dealing with such large amounts of people with diabetes that we can develop profiles. So like I said earlier, like there's the really healthy person, the Zen rabbit diet, there's the one um, and everybody in between. So there could be a thousand or a hundred of them. So mathematically, when a patient comes through, we understand the vectorization of those variables. So when someone comes through and they're missing, let's say three of the three one thousandths of something, we can say, well, that's the next best action this far away from the ideal treatment pathway. And then you have the, hey, how do we get the right patients for our clinical trial? Or instead of spending $8 billion on marketing, let's hunt with a spear and not a net. So I, I'll give you the 1,000 people that want to come on and have X drug. So it's about mathematically modeling what they look like from a physiological, from a digital, and from a lifestyle point of view. And we call that omni-channel digital fingerprint. How do you contact in the right channel? with the right message to drive conversion to, to at least educate them to get onto the trial. And, and if I can be a little bit more controversial, Chris, drives me freaking insane with the farmer's company saying, we want diversity in our clinical trials, right? We want more minorities. We want more women. There was a report out from the AHA 
recently saying women are not as well represented in clinical trials for cardiovascular and metabolic as men. So how we communicate and how we actually recruit these individuals is different. And we have an AI capability to do so. And the FDA wants it, the pharma companies want it, but no one's willing to say, let's do it, right? Like it's like, feel the fear and move on, right? And for breast cancer, if getting women is difficult, we'll try getting like an African-American woman from Creole, possibly descent, or a Latina or a Native American woman or, and being able to, to bring that in. Or then if you have a larger study that has both sexes, you know, like com the complexity gets bigger, but it's there. So like to your farmer listeners, like let's get it done. Yeah, nice. You an yeah, you answered a question that wasn't on my list, but I was just thinking about like if you talk about um, relationships between reps and doctors, and does the artificial intelligence get in the way? But the way you described it, it just seems to make it more efficient to get to the relationship you're trying to have by communicating the way you want. Exactly, increasing the signal to noise. Yeah. Well, how about this, like. So the people, the farmer reps that are listening to this conversation are sales executives. Your company bought Salesforce or Viva for, what is it? Seven figures, at least two commas, and probably more than that. So everybody has a CRM right now. And you are forced as part of your inner review, probably to fill it out dil diligently and, and whatnot. So it might, I mean, it's probably a pain that we're in, but like, like at least it could start working for you. Right? So I think CRMs, Viva or Salesforce are fancy dashboards. But if it could tell you, like, I'm trying to crack Dr. Chris and I can't crack this guy, maybe the AI can get me there. What we're seeing is it gives a bump in sales about 10 to, uh, 12 to 15%. It's a tool, right? And the other thing is, is it's humanly impossible to analyze all of this data. So Chris, if you're a farmer rep and I'm a farmer rep, and let's say we're rock stars. And we've been in the business for 25 years and like we are just president's club or I'm going to Haiti every year. You know, that's good, but you and I can't analyze all the other doctors from all the other reps, right? This AI analyzes all of them. So the reference point, again, samplings for dummies, you know, is the entire population of doctors that that specific either drug group or vertical or, or drug company actually sees, so. Nice. Should we talk about um, just cleaning up data? Yeah. Let's, let's do that because that seems to always come up, whether it's just integrating data, if you have an acquisition, to actually putting it to work for you. What's the route from bad or siloed data to moving ahead with an artificial intelligence project that can actually make a difference? Yep. So, I, you know, there is a lot of good examples here. And again, this is where pharma struggles and healthcare struggles a lot is there's lots of silos and my data and my fiefdom. So I'm going to start off with a management. So this has to come from the top. So the AI project, my recommendation to pharma and healthcare is if you're the CEO and you are going to invest your dollars to generate an ROI, this is what you need to do. Number one is you have to have a vision as to how this will scale to an enterprise, right? If you do science projects, you're just throwing out money out the window. Call me, I'll take your money, slap you, and you'll feel a whole lot better. But have the vision. The person needs to have a seat at the table, right? The problem that we're seeing in industry right now is the CIO, the CTO, and the chief data officer are fighting amongst themselves. 
So the chief data officer, let's say, owns AI. Well, the, the data lives in the IT with the, uh, the CIO. The CTO has Microsoft Azure or Viva, the platform, that the CDO needs to work in. And because they're not working together, it causes a lot of frustration and no progress. So the CEO needs to drive that vision. Number two is we've been dealing with master data management issues since the beginning of um, data collection, if you will, from the early 90s or the, the mid 90s. And it's not going to get any better because the data is ever expanding. So there are some really novel solutions. Haystack is a really cool startup company out of Boston that they've done some really good AI work in there. Highly recommend having conversations with them. If you're going to a company that's a consulting company on master data management, they haven't figured it out for themselves. So that's probably a, a waste. But you know, you can bring your data into an environment. May that be a cloud, may that be a data lake, Azure, Samba Nova's hardware, you know, AWS, Google, all these are very good. And you can bring them in and then you can do your AI on them. I think I think too many people get caught up like we have to clean the room before we can go to bed where, you know, just energy will just cause, what is it, uh, one of the laws of energy, you know, it um, escapes me right in. Entropy. Yes. It's like, a, it's like a five-year-old's room if you're a parent. You know, you spend all that time Saturday morning cleaning it, and in your mind, because you remember from your childhood that you know it's not going to stay clean, but you expect it to stay clean. And, you know, you get up the next morning and three or four toys are out of the place. Well, that's your data, right? It's going to happen. So either you need to commit to people ensuring that that happens or you build and there has to be management part of it. But that should not stop you from doing the AI, right? You should have the vision, get the data you need, have it flow and then drive those results. Because quite frankly, if not, it, this is an evolutionary event. Whatever farmer companies figure out how to do this well, and they can do it, they just need to have the, the intestinal fortitude to actually drive that vision, that they will outstrip their competitors. And so when I say evolutionary event, it's more of an extinction event. Those that can't figure it out will, you know, Kodak meet the iPhone kind of thing. Right. So you're not, you're not waiting to clean up your data completely or getting ready to get ready, as somebody I used to know would say, like... Yeah, well, you yeah, should get exactly. started because otherwise it's an excuse to just say, well, we're, we don't have everything together yet. And and the other thing is, is, is that we're talking about implementing this. And if it's 60 percent or 70 percent good, that's still good. Right. Like it, it doesn't have to be exactly perfect unless it's medical and, law, you know, but I'm talking about sales and things of that nature. You know, good today is better than perfect tomorrow type of thing. Got it. All right. We're at the end of our time. Severance McLaughlin. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. I'm going to put a link to DeLorean Artificial Intelligence in the show notes for yep. this episode. Anywhere else you want to yep. uh, send people? I'm on LinkedIn, Chris. I'm the only severance I know of, so S-E-V-R-E-N-C-E. -E. And we're on Twitter and LinkedIn. So if I can help you, have a call. I'm very academic, so we can have a chit-chat. But Chris, thank you so much. I love talking about AI and really appreciate the opportunity. Oh, that was a blast for me. Thank you. Thank you again for listening. If you enjoy this podcast, you probably work with a couple of people who would enjoy it also. Please share it with them so we can keep it going and let me know in the comments what topics or guests you'd like to hear from. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.